Day 9 Lives listeners, I'm Danielle, your host for today's episode. Today, we'll be going back in time to share a story we heard before classes ended for winter break. Last quarter, Nine Lives co-hosted an intergenerational storytelling event with the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, or OLLI for short, which is where we met Medill senior Joey Safchik, today's storyteller. OLLI is a program out of Northwestern School of Professional Studies that's committed to providing educational opportunities for lifelong learners who want to pursue their love of education, even years after graduating. Just as our event brought students from different generations together, Joey's story is one of intergenerational friendship. Here's Joey. When I was 10 years old, one of my closest friends was an 80-year-old woman. My mom taught an acting class at our local parks recreation center, and I would begrudgingly go with her every week. I would sit on an isolated set of stairs behind the stage. I would sit there on the crookedy wooden stairs, my nose deep in a book, trying to isolate myself from everything going on around me. But one week, I noticed a figure approaching me. That week, I was reading my library rental copy of The Diary of Anne Frank. I looked up and I saw a woman standing over me. She pointed at the book and she said in a thick foreign accent that was unfamiliar to my elementary school ears, I have a story just like that. Do you want to hear it? I nodded emphatically and I scooched over and motioned for her to sit next to me on the steps. I could tell right away that Gabriella Karen was no ordinary grandma. She wore big, flowy, colorful clothes that I would learn hid her dark past. She wore costume jewelry that she designed by hand herself. She had an eccentric curly mop of gray hair that fell unevenly over the right side of her face. Its tips were dyed jet black. I sat there enraptured as Gabriella shared her story. Suddenly the words that I'd been reading, the history that I'd become familiar with, but that had seemed so distant so far away, became so real and tangible. Every week, I would now come with my mom to her class, much less begrudgingly. I would sit there and wait for Gabriella to arrive. Gabriella took a senior's ballroom dancing class in the same location right after my mom's acting class, but she would get there early. We would sit on a park bench. I would listen to her tell her stories. She'd bring me snacks and chocolate. I would tell her about the latest Harry Potter adventures I was reading while she would tell me about the grown-up books that she read while she was in hiding. She was just a year or two older than me. She was in hiding with a group of nine other people. And for two years, she was unable to make a sound or utter a single word. Yet as she told me the story, which she told to so many people before me, the words fell trippingly off her tongue. I was an eager audience. I listened and listened and tried to absorb everything I could. One week, a few weeks into our meeting, she brought me a small ceramic rose that she'd made just for me. It was a vibrant, glossy red. It fit right in the palm of my hand. It was smooth and I loved it. And when Gabriella handed it to me, she said, every time you look at this, remember that the world will become kinder. I went home and I placed my new trinket atop my white jewelry box. And from wherever you were standing in my room, your eyes will be drawn to that bright red. It stood out amongst all of my childish knickknacks. 
A few months into our meetings, Gabriella invited me to one of her art shows. Gabriella had emigrated to the United States after living in Israel after the war. And she had a successful career as a fashion designer. But she found her true calling after she retired when she took up art and sculpting. I went to this art show. I made my dad drop me off outside because I wanted this to be something I experienced just me and my special friend. In the art show, in the gallery, there were butterflies adorning the walls for butterflies were Gabriella's preferred symbol of hope. But my eyes were immediately drawn to the center of the room. A sculpture, a tree, it was rotating. Leaves, ceramic leaves in gold, yellow, and red hung down on the branches. A soft spotlight illuminated it. I walked toward this tree in somewhat of a trance. I couldn't help myself and I ran my chubby, prepubescent 10-year-old hands down it. One of the leaves fell right into the palm of my hand. Gabriella approached me and she gently put her hand on my shoulder. And she explained to me that each leaf represented a friend or family member who'd perished in the Holocaust. I took in her words and realized that I was holding Gabriella's history, her harrowing history, right in the palm of my hand. I let my dad come in so that he could take a photo of us so I would remember this forever. A few months later, I finally got to invite Gabriella to one of my shows. I'm no artist, but at the age of 14, I was playing Anne Frank in The Diary of Anne Frank at a renowned Los Angeles theater. I was so excited and it was so important to me that Gabriella would be there for we'd first connected over Anne Frank. I was playing to a house of about 1200 people. I didn't know that Gabriella would be there that night. I couldn't see the audience, but I sensed her presence. I went up to her after the show and she invited me to come speak with her about playing Anne at the Los Angeles Museum of the Holocaust. I was really nervous. I didn't know what I would have to offer. I thought people should be listening to Gabby, not me. But as we sat there in front of an audience of students and survivors alike, I understood why she wanted me there. I played Anne Frank three times over the course of my high school career and Gabriella was at each and every production. And once when I was a little bit older, I asked her, does watching this make you sad? Is it hard for you? And she said, no because each time someone watches you play in or listens to me tell my story, the world becomes a little bit kinder. Fast forward a few years and I was sitting at home at the start of the pandemic. Gabriella and I always kept in touch. We emailed, sometimes I would interview her for a journalism project in college. So I wasn't surprised when my phone rang and it was Gabriella. I figured she'd want to be catching up. I answered it, but she had a very special proposal. She was going to write her memoir. She was going to take advantage of quarantine and isolation. Her grandson had convinced her that she just had to put her words on the page. She was heeding his advice, but she wanted my help. So for the next two months, I listened as she dictated her life story. I would help her. She would encourage me to correct her grammar, but I love the way Gabriella speaks. I didn't want to change a word. As we were doing this together, the red rose still sat atop my jewelry box. The edges were a little bit more rugged now. Some of the paint had chipped or faded because of sun exposure. One of the petals had fallen off when my family moved, but it sat right next to the rose. 
I looked at it and marveled at this wonderful friendship Gabrielle and I had built over what was now a decade. We finished her memoir. She founded a publisher. She attached some articles that had been written about her over the years, and I went back to school. A few weeks later, she called me. She had one more request. See, every time Gabriella and I had been together over the years, we'd taken a photo. And we always fell naturally, unintentionally into the same pose. She was on the right, I was on the left. She had her arm around my shoulder. I had my hands clasped in front of me and a wide smile on my face. In the first picture, when I'm 10, I barely reach her shoulder. In the next, when I'm about 14, we're about the same height. In the final one, when I'm 17, I'm a few inches taller than her. But we hadn't taken one of these photographs since I left for college, and she wanted one that represented us now. So she asked me to stand in front of a white wall with my hands clasped in front of me, a smile on my face, and take a photo. I did. I sent it to her. And a few days later, she sent it back. She had commissioned her grandson to Photoshop us together. And for a woman who had experienced so much, the small act of Photoshopping, an imperfect Photoshop at that, made her overcome with joy to the point of tears. A few days later, I opened my mailbox and inside I found a small manila envelope with bubble wrap. There was a note inside and in shaky cursive handwriting, my friend Gabby had written, each time you wear this, remember to make the world kinder. It was accompanied by a beautiful ceramic butterfly necklace, glossy, my favorite color, purple. Gabriella has a remarkable ability to find beauty in the bleakest of times. She is skilled in the fine art of compassion. I wear this necklace proudly, and I know that for the rest of my life, even after Gabriella is gone and sharing her story becomes in part my responsibility. Each time I see a butterfly flutter its wings, I'll hear my friend's sweet, sensitive, and soulful voice in my ear, reminding me that someday, someday, the world will become kinder. Special thanks to Joey and, of course, to our listeners. For more episodes, check us out on Facebook, SoundCloud, or on the podcast app. And remember, all cats have nine lives. Share one of yours.